The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. 1 Peter chapter 5 is our text this morning. Uh, now, you're, you're fortunate this morning. You see, I, I'm kind of like a person who talks with his hands. I, I, I just I talk better when my hands are moving. And, and now one wing is kind of tied down with a microphone this morning. That means the sermon will probably be half as long as it normally would be. And so you're fortunate today as we continue to examine the role of the pastor that we find in Scripture. You'll remember in this sermon series, we've already looked at the biblical qualifications of a pastor. Uh, you know that last week we looked at the pastor as preacher and that central action and activity of his ministry, the teaching and proclamation of the Word of God. And today we come to the pastor as shepherd. We look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's undeniable that men who hold the office of pastor, the preaching pastor, the student pastor, the children's pastor, the worship pastor, men who hold the office of pastor one of their primary roles is to serve the congregation as a shepherd. So come with me, 1 Peter chapter 5. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? And we'll begin in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Now, we will remind ourselves again in a moment, this word elder reminds us of pastor in today's terminology in Southern Baptist congregations. So Paul is talking to pastors in this pastor scripture. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Here it is. Shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Father, would you help us to understand uh, this wonderful passage that speaks so clearly uh, to me this morning as a pastor. It speaks clearly to Mark this morning as a pastor. And Father, it speaks to every man who holds this office. Help the church to understand our role today as a shepherd of the children of God. And Father, may our next senior pastor be a man who comes with a shepherd's staff in his hand ready to fulfill this text in our midst. And we pray that in Jesus' strong name, amen. Please be seated. This morning, as we look at the pastor as shepherd, we're going to see really three items in the text. Number one, we're going to see one exhortation. There is one primary exhortation to elders in this passage. Secondly, we're going to see what I call multiple prohibitions. There are some things in this text that Peter says to elders, this should not exist in your life. This should not be a motivation for serving the church 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, what I really want you to capture in this text this morning is a key transformation. In the life of the elder, there should be a key transformation that benefits the body of Christ known as the church. So let's begin our study this morning with one exhortation. What is Peter exhorting the elders of the church to do in this passage of Scripture? Chapter 5, verse 1, let's look at this exhortation. Peter writes, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Now, we have to stop there, ladies and gentlemen. When, whenever you see the word therefore in the text, it reminds us that we must study the word of God in context. Therefore, links what we're about to study with what we've just finished reading and studying. So the therefore in verse 1 links the next few verses of chapter 5 back with what Peter has been saying in chapter 4. And to understand exactly what Peter means with this exhortation to shepherd uh, the flock of God, we have to then go back and say, okay, what was Peter saying in chapter 4 that brings him to the very first part of chapter 5 to say, therefore. So come back with me, chapter 4, and let's put this passage of Scripture within the context, the overall story of Scripture. Look with me, if you will, chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this manner. For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who are suffering according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Peter says, therefore. You see, to understand the first few verses of 1 Peter chapter 5, you have to place it within the context of suffering found in 1 Peter chapter 4. As a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, suffering is the theme of the book of 1 Peter. When you get home uh, this afternoon, sit down. It's a very short book. It's a brief book. Uh, sit down on your back porch in the cool breeze of this afternoon and begin to read the book of 1 Peter. And in chapter 2, Peter's going to talk about suffering. In chapter 3, Peter's going to talk about suffering. In chapter 4, he's going to talk about suffering. And in the context of suffering, Peter then comes back and he says, therefore. Here's what I want you to hear me say, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes the Christian life is a life that includes suffering, amen? The Christian life is not a Teflon life. 
Things that are bad in life don't simply strike the Christian and bounce off, Teflon. No, sometimes in life, hurt and pain and agony and suffering come into the life of the believer, and sometimes it makes its home. It takes up residence, and the suffering lasts for a long amount of time. You see, the truth is, doctors bring bad news to believers. The truth is that the parents and children of believers sometimes experience tremendous illness and even death that ushers grief into the life of the believer. Sometimes the believer goes to work on Friday and the boss gives him a pink slip or her a pink slip to carry home when they clock out that afternoon. Sometimes there is grief and heartache and hardship and suffering that comes to the life of the believer. For us to believe that simply knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior is a guarantee that nothing bad will ever happen, listen, ladies and gentlemen, that is a fairy tale. Heartache, challenges, suffering, pain, grief, it flows into the life of the follower of Christ like it flows into every life that lives. And it is within that context that Peter says to the elders that he's about to speak to, because Christian people sometimes face suffering, because Christian people sometimes experience heartache, and sometimes that suffering and heartache is because of their faith in Christ, therefore I have a message for you. Look what that message happens to be. Come back to the text. Therefore... I exhort the elders among you. Now, we saw a moment ago, and we reminded ourselves as we were reading this passage of Scripture, elders equal pastors. When you see the word elder in the New Testament, you, you think in Baptist life today, pastor. He said, listen, because there is suffering within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, I exhort the pastors. In a moment, we're going to see what this exhortation happens to be. Right now, I just want you to look at the word exhort. I want to point out that powerful word for you. Matt, would you help me for a moment? Would you meet me right here in front of the Lord's Supper table? Would you do that? Yeah, I know. Surprise, surprise. You see, no one else is going to go to sleep this morning because they're scared that I'm going to call them up as well. Here's what the word exhort means. The word exhort in that text means to come alongside and to encourage someone. It's almost as if the picture you can place in your mind is that Peter says, look, I want to come alongside and I want to give some great advice to my fellow pastors. God's people sometimes face suffering. God's people sometimes face heartache and pain. And so in the midst of the suffering that we find among God's people, Peter says, I just want to put my arm around and encourage my fellow pastors with a very important exhortation. Now, it's written as a command we're going to see in a moment. Sometimes we can come alongside and, and encourage people with a command, but it's done in a loving way. It's done in a soft way. It's done in a tender way. And that's what we see in this passage of Scripture. Peter says to his fellow pastors, God's people sometimes suffer. Therefore, I want to just put my arm around you, and I just want to encourage you to do something that's very important. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And let's see what he encourages these pastors to do. 
Look with me, chapter 5. Therefore, I exhort, I come alongside, I put my arm around you, I encourage my fellow pastors as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Here it comes, ladies and gentlemen. Here is the exhortation. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God. Because God's people sometimes suffer and experience heartache and pain and suffering in life, Peter says, I want to encourage my fellow pastors, shepherd the flock of God. Now, before we look at this word shepherd and what it might mean, I want us to see who exactly is that Peter is saying should be shepherded in this passage. Shepherd the flock of God. Now, you know from studying your Bible that the flock of God is a metaphor in Scripture for the people of God. God oftentimes in Scripture refers to his children, his followers, as sheep. Think with me, Psalm 23. The Lord is my what, church? Shepherd, I shall not want. It's this beautiful metaphor that God is the shepherd and and his children are his sheep. Think with me, John chapter 10. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. There's that beautiful imagery of the people of God being the flock of God, the sheep of God, and Jesus or the Father himself being the shepherd. We see this in this passage. Come back and look with me. Chapter 5, go all the way down to verse 4 again. Here's this imagery. Peter writes, and when the chief, what? Shepherd appears. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He just mentioned the flock of God in verse 2. Those are Christians. Those are followers of God. Those are members of the body of Christ. And then he comes down to verse 4, and he speaks of Jesus as the chief shepherd. So when we come to this passage of Scripture, and Peter says, in the midst of suffering and heartache and pain, I want to encourage my fellow pastors to shepherd the flock of God. He's saying, I want you to shepherd God's people. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't want us to forget that the flock in this passage of Scripture is not the pastor's flock. They belong to who in this passage? To God himself, the flock of God. Sometimes pastors need to be reminded of that. Sometimes pastors, we, we know what they mean when they talk about my church or my people. They, they don't mean anything improper by that. They're just speaking of those that God has called them to lead and guide. But every now and then you can find a pastor who, who seems to forget that the flock is not his. The flock always belongs to the Father. This is the flock of God. Now, Peter has always already made this a very forceful point in the text. Come back with me. We're going to come to 1 Peter chapter 5 in just a moment. Come back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Remember what I said when we began? You always study a passage of Scripture in its context. If you just lift out a few verses, you, you miss the beautiful nature and the narrative and the story of Scripture. So look what Peter said in chapter 1 that relates directly to chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, look with me, verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you are not redeemed. The word redeemed there means to set free with a payment, 
to set free with a payment. If you want to explore this concept of God's people being redeemed, go home today and read Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 talks about the fact that we are redeemed. It's the same concept here in verse 18. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, your worthless way of life, your uh, meaningless form of life, your empty form of life, your vain form of life, he's saying. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited by your fathers. Don't miss verse 19. But with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's why the church belongs to God, because the church was redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus. The church was bound in its worthless form of life, sick to sin, enslaved to sin, dead to sin. But Jesus came and died on Calvary's cross, and he purchased the church with his blood on Calvary's cross. And when he shed his blood and gave his life and redeemed us from our sinful life, we became the church of God. So Peter says in this passage of Scripture, Pastor, don't forget this flock that you have been given to tend and love and care for, these are God's people. He bought them himself with the blood of his precious son at Calvary. They don't belong to you. They belong to him. You've just been given the opportunity to roll up your sleeves and love them and shepherd them and minister to them in the midst of their pain and their heartache and their suffering. So Peter says, I exhort you, I encourage you, my fellow pastors, that flock that belongs to God, that you've been allowed to love, you shepherd the flock. Now here's the question of the morning. So what does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? That's the command, that's the exhortation in this passage of Scripture. Peter says to his fellow pastors, in the midst of their heartache and suffering and pain, you shepherd the flock that belongs to God. So what does it mean to shepherd the flock of God? Well, shepherds have three primary responsibilities. Number one, they're to feed the sheep. If, if a shepherd doesn't feed the sheep, before long he, what? Has no sheep. He has to feed the sheep. Now, of course, in the context of the New Testament, feeding is a metaphor for teaching the Word of God and preaching the Word of God. That's how you feed the sheep. You you give them the, the bread of life. You give them the Word of God. You teach them the principles of Scripture. Now, we've seen this already in one of our sermons in this series. Let me, let me remind you of these verses of Scripture. Next slide, please, gentlemen. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, in the context of the qualifications of a pastor, there's this qualification, able to teach. In Titus 1.9, there's this uh, qualification again, able both to exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. We've seen that already in this text. And then we see in Ephesians chapter 4, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. We've seen those verses already in this study. 
There's no need to camp out here. It is obvious that part of shepherding the people of God is to preach and teach God's holy word and therefore feed them the principles of Scripture. Now, secondly, not only do shepherds feed the flock, they protect the flock. They're responsible for protecting God's people. Now, we see this in Scripture in the book of Acts. Look with me, the very next slide. Protecting them from false teachers. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, another word for pastor, to shepherd the church of God, this same concept that we're looking at this morning, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them, therefore be on the alert. Other places of Scripture, the Bible speaks of people searching for those who will tickle their itching ears with what they teach. The shepherd has a responsibility to stand in the pulpit and protect, protect the flock of God from false doctrine and false teachers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you wonder if there are false teachers in the church, you just turn on your TV set 24-7 and you go to one of those channels that, that has a prosperity gospel preacher and he's wanting you to know that, that if you just love Jesus, you're going to be healthy and you're going to be prosperous and life is always going to go your way and that flies in the face of 1 Peter. Where 1 Peter says sometimes God's people just suffer and grieve, and sometimes they suffer and grieve simply because they're a follower of Jesus. So the shepherd feeds the sheep, and the shepherd protects the sheep from false teachers. But there's a third thing that shepherds must do. And I want us to spend a few moments talking about this at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Shepherds must oversee new birth. You see, if all the shepherd ever does is feed the sheep, and if all the shepherd ever does is protect the sheep, eventually that generation of sheep will die off. In order for the shepherd to always have a flock to love, a flock to feed, a flock to protect, he must be about the business of husbandry. He, he must be about the business of overseeing new birth, of new lambs into the flock. Now, we see this in... Matthew chapter 28, look with me. Matthew chapter 28, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That, that is the mission of the church. That is the mission the Lord Jesus Christ gave us right before he ascended into heaven. It is a mission that is so important that it's found in one form or another in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Five times in scripture, we see this command given to the church. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Ladies and gentlemen, the making of disciples is the birthing of new sheep into the flock of God. It's what who's your one is all about. Finding people who are not a part of the flock of God, helping them to come to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, to be a part of the flock and grow and develop and mature into healthy sheep. It's what Hoosier One is all about. Now I want you to listen to me for just a moment. 
I want to go from preaching to putting my arm around you to encourage you this morning. I've been with you. Charlene and I were counting on the calendar. I think this is my seventh week as your interim pastor. And here's what I've noticed. Emmanuel Baptist Church does a lot of things right. You guys love each other. You're genuinely glad to see one another on Sunday. You visit when the service is over. Usually you stay in small clusters all across uh, the worship center and you're visiting. Why? Because you genuinely care about one another. You do fellowship well. You care for one another when you're in the hospital. It, it amazes me as I sit at my computer screen each and every week and I just watch the interaction of members uh, of Emmanuel who are including me in an email trail where someone's gone to the hospital and there's been person after person after person who's been there to visit them. You do that well, pastoral care. You do worship well. You come together and you sing and, and you interact. But let me point out one thing we need to do better. That is being focused outside of this church on the lost community around us. We do extremely well in ministering to those who are already a part of the flock, but we're not doing as well as we should in overseeing the new birth of new sheep into the flock of God. Amen? Now, I'm not saying anything you don't already know. Think with me, ladies and gentlemen. When was the last time we celebrated a baptistry, a baptism taking place in the baptistry at Emmanuel Baptist Church? It's been far too long, amen? It should break our heart, amen? Because part of, part of being the flock of God is watching new lambs be born into the flock. And so what we have to do over the weeks to come, over the months to come, we, we have to continue to do that which we do well, loving those who are already a part of the flock of God, but we need to begin to do better in reaching out to those who have yet to be a part of the flock of God, in reaching them with the life-transforming, eternal message of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to do that better. Oh, we have to do that better. That's why I want to invite you September the 15th to what I'm just calling a leadership luncheon. After the worship service on September 15th, we're going to gather in the fellowship hall. We're going to have just some, some light lunch just to tide you over until you can go home and, and devour whatever you want to devour. But it's just going to be a small sandwich and some chips and, and some drink. And I want to bring a presentation that I'm calling Reaching High Park this community in which we live, these hundreds and hundreds of homes that are surrounding the church that are not connected with the Emmanuel flock of God. And we're just going to look at the reality of, of this community that surrounds us, and, and we're going to ask a question. How can we find some open doors to step into the High Park community and love them and reach them for the kingdom of God? I hope you'll be there. We're calling in a leadership luncheon. We certainly want our deacons to be there. We want our ministry coordinators to be there. We want our Sunday school teachers to be there. But here's my invitation to you. If you just want to be a part of that discussion, 
How do we reach this community in which we live more effectively for the kingdom of God? What can Emmanuel do to be better at overseeing new birth of little lambs into the flock? I want to invite you to that lunch, regardless of what position or committee or anything about service. If you want to be a part of that discussion, you come and join us. It's going to be a time that we focus on overseeing new birth into the flock of God. So there's one exhortation, shepherd the flock of God. Quickly, I want you to see what I call multiple prohibitions. There are multiple prohibitions in this text. Look with me, if you will, verses 2 and 3. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Now, here comes the first prohibition. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Peter says to the elders, I want you to shepherd the flock of God, but I prohibit you for doing it out of compulsion. The word compulsion there speaks of moral duty. And here's what he's saying to the elders. I, I, I command you, I exhort you to shepherd the flock of God, but don't do it simply because it's your job. Don't do it simply because you have some kind of moral duty to shepherd the flock of God. I want you to do it voluntarily. I, I want you to do it with eagerness. And why should you be eager to shepherd the flock of God? Come back and look at the text. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Here's what Peter's saying. Because it is the will of God for you to shepherd the flock. It's why God has placed you there. It is part of the responsibility he's given you. And because it's his will for you to shepherd the flock of God, you shouldn't shepherd them because it's simply a part of your job description. You should shepherd them eagerly. Because in doing so, you're fulfilling God's will for your life. Old pastor search team, go find us a man who when he comes will roll up his sleeves and say eagerly, voluntarily, I want to embrace the will of God for my life. I want to shepherd this flock of God. I want to feed them God's word. I want to protect them from false doctrine. And I want to oversee the growth of the flock through the birth of new lambs. The first prohibition, there's a second prohibition coming. Look back at this text. Shepherd the flock of God among you, verse 2, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Here comes the second prohibition, and not for sordid gain. Don't shepherd for a paycheck. Don't shepherd because every two weeks or once a month or every week, according to the pay cycle of Emmanuel Baptist Church, you're going to get a check. Don't do it for sordid gain. Now, I'm not sure everything that sordid gain means, but doesn't it just sound bad? Sordid gain. It just has a bitter taste on the lips. Peter's saying to the pastor, this is God's calling upon your life. You do it with eagerness, not because it's your duty, and you do it with eagerness, not because it's a way to draw a paycheck. There's the third prohibition. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Verse 3, here it is, the final prohibition, not as lording it over those 
allotted to your charge. Now, let me say this. The Sunday after homecoming, we're going to look at the pastor as leader. That's a part of his responsibility. It's a part of his role. The pastor is to be the spiritual leader of the congregation. We're going to delve into for 40 minutes what all that means from Scripture. You just need to know from this pastor's Scripture that the pastor is not to be a dictator, not lording it over, not seeing himself as some kind of potentate, some, some kind of commander who simply barks out orders and the sheep fall in line that is not at all what Peter is saying. As a matter of fact, he prohibits that mentality in this passage of Scripture. Finally, this morning, I want you to see a key transformation. We've seen the exhortation, shepherd the flock of God in the midst of their suffering. We've seen these prohibitions, these three prohibitions. And then finally, a key transformation. Look at verse 3 nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving. The word proving there is an interesting word. The word proving speaks of a process. It, we, we might translate it becoming. Becoming. What is he to become? Come back and, and look at this phrase. But proving, becoming, this process, this metamorphosis, if you will, but proving to be examples to the flock. Peter's saying to the shepherd, he's saying to the pastor, you're to be an example to the flock. But that takes time. When you arrive on, on the scene, when you're introduced to the flock of God, you, you may have some positional ability to be an example to the flock, but, but you really become an example to the flock over time. As you watch the pastor's marriage over time, he becomes an example to the flock. As you examine the pastor's parenting skills over time, he becomes an example to the flock. As you watch the pastor's forgiveness and love and mercy and grace over time, he becomes an example to the flock. So what Peter is saying to the elders... I exhort you, I encourage you, shepherd the flock of God. Don't do it for sordid gain. Don't do it because it's your moral duty. I want you to do it with eagerness. It's God's will for your life. And always remember, as time passes, you mold through a process of becoming, becoming a pattern to the congregation. You see, I hope... The truth is, after seven weeks, you really don't know me or Charlene. You, you see the persona we've allowed you to see for seven weeks. But hopefully, as seven weeks becomes a few months, and if, if a few months becomes seven months, hopefully, over time, you'll be able to watch my interaction with my bride, and that will be an example to you of how to love and treat your wife. Hopefully, over time, you'll be able to watch her service to the Lord and my service to the Lord, and that will become an example to you of how you might serve the Lord. That doesn't happen when you first meet the shepherd. 
It is a process over time that takes place. And what what Peter is saying is, therefore, shepherd, live your life with such consistency. Live your life week in, week out, day in, day out, so that you become an example to the flock. Oh, the Word is teaching us so much about this office of the pastor, this role of the pastor. What we see this morning is the pastor must be a shepherd because God's people sometimes experience heartache and grief and pain, and sometimes it's because they're followers of Jesus. And in that moment, they need not a dictator, not a commander before his troops. God's people need a loving shepherd who can be an example to them in every facet of life. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to take you back to 1 Peter chapter 1 for just a moment. How does a person become a part of the flock of God? They recognize they've been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying for their sins, their transgressions, their violations of God's principles. And they simply come to the place where they say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I turn from my sin, and I want to live a life that always pleases you from this moment on. Jesus, I give you my life. And in that moment of repentance, in that moment of surrender, making Jesus Lord of life, we become a part of the flock of God. Not just for today. Not just for tomorrow, but for eternity. A member of the flock of God. I wonder this morning if you're here in in the decision you need to make, you need to surrender your life to Jesus. You need to become a part of his flock. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing, would you have the courage to leave the place where you'll be standing and come and say to me, Chuck, today, today I want to trust Christ as my Savior I want to be a part of the flock of God. Oh, would you come? It is the greatest decision any human heart can ever make. Maybe you're here and your church membership is somewhere else and God is just drawing you to Emmanuel to be a part of this family of faith. Would you come and just say, Chuck, today, for my family and I, we want to be a part of Emmanuel. We'll love you. We'll help you grow as a believer. We'll give you places to serve and worship. Would you come? Maybe what you need to do in a moment as we stand is just simply bow your head and say, Lord, Lord, I don't know what our next pastor is going to look like. I don't know who he is. I don't know his name, but I just want to pray. Give him a shepherd's heart for your people. <coughs> Lord, would you take control of this time of invitation? Would you bring honor and glory to yourself today at Emmanuel? as you speak, and we respond. And it's in your name we pray. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.